Hello and welcome to LSH Talks, a podcast hosting important conversations within the commercial property sector. Within this season of the podcast, I will be speaking to women working within our network, shining the light on these talented individuals. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Emma Burke, Head of Origination at Maslow Capital. So my name is Emma Burke. I am the Head of Origination for Maslow Capital. Maslow Capital is a specialist real estate debt provider in the UK. We've been established for the past 14 years. We've recently done an announcement where we've completed our 250th development finance deal. And that means we've supported over four billion pounds of value in property in that time. So it's, it's a big milestone for us and the company is ever growing. I have been with Maslow for four and a half years. So how did you get into your particular field? Like how, what was your journey into property? So my journey into property was a bit up and down. I, I completed a degree in business studies, which was actually, I specialised in, in HR and marketing. Realised very fast uh, that I didn't have the patience for HR and that it required somebody with a much more uh, patient personality type, which I do not have. So I'm more suited to real estate and the transactions that we do require a lot of energy and and things to be turned around quite quickly. So I started off in banking here in Ireland. And then with the global financial crisis, we moved to the UK where I continued working for Clearer. I moved into a private bank space and found that quite constrained in the role. The alternative debt space was growing. And I went and I met individuals that were working within that space. And I thought, you know what, this this could really suit. So I moved into the alternative debt space about eight years ago. And there I have been ever since. With regards to development finance, didn't fully specialise in development finance until I started at Dragonfly, which then became Octopus Property, which is now, as we all know, Octopus Real Estate. And I found I was naturally very suited to it because my entire family is involved in construction. And it's something that was always discussed around the dinner table. But I was also very involved in my dad's construction business all the way through university. I kind of helped him um, in the office. So I was very familiar with the trades and what was required, etc. My husband's also involved in construction. So it just felt like a natural fit and something that I was quite comfortable with. What would you say has been the biggest challenge of your career so far, if there has been anything particularly notable? So the biggest challenges I have faced would be the same as anyone of my age, regardless of gender, um, has faced in that the GFC, we were all you know, out of university, had spent five or six years in the workplace. That's at the point in time where you should be uh, progressing up the career ladder. What we had was a a complete flatlining of the financial markets for a period of time that lasted much longer than anyone ever seen. So what happened was we had a lot of people retraining, a lot of people leaving the sector or like me clinging with death's grip to say, no, it will it'll turn around and it'll work out. Whilst that period of my career was massively tough, um, it also was a massive learning experience. Restructuring debt or trying to get debt repaid and dealing with situations where everybody's under pressure definitely gives you a good springboard to learn from. But it was also during that time that I got married and had kids. And that was the one of the biggest challenges was trying to juggle motherhood, child care, and trying to work full time. And whilst COVID has now given us the flexibility in the workplace, much more than I've ever, ever had previously, you couldn't really say, well, I, I have to leave work early. You know, and I'm talking 10, 12 years ago, you know, you, you didn't have the flexibility in the workplace that you have now. It was nine to five. You had to have childcare to work in around that. If the kids were sick, you had to take time off to be at home with them. So that was a big challenge trying to overcome that. And then you had to work kind of double down and be seen to work hard, although you had other responsibilities outside of the workplace, but you didn't want to not be taken 
taken seriously in your role. You didn't want to be passed up for promotion. There was two instances and I learned lots from it, right? And, and other good opportunities came up as a result of these aspects of my career that I wanted to happen, didn't happen. But for instance, I was on a, a rolling contract with one of the private banks. I felt at the time that they chose to make one of my male colleagues permanent, but wouldn't make me permanent. And I think in their eyes, I was the wrong age and couldn't commit to the role in the same way as my male colleague could. And absolutely, I couldn't. They were 100% right. So I chose to move on. But when I did move on from that role, I ended up working within a team where they weren't as old school and I had that flexibility. And I remember on occasions, school was closed, but I couldn't take the time off work. Not because my employer wouldn't allow me to, but because we had too much going on. In real estate, when you're working on transactions and transactions are closing, you don't really have the ability to say, well, you know what, I can I can take this time off. If you want to close on debt transactions, you have to be at the forefront of that. So I remember times bringing my daughter into the office and having her being entertained with crayons and stuff and saying, isn't it great that she's she's here and not being made feel awkward about that. And I think as the older generation moved into retirement and you have the, the new generation of uh, managers and of board members, in fact, the work at home is shared. It's important to acknowledge being a, a work mother, a working parent, so to speak, is that I think you, you don't ever overcome it. It is constant, you know, the having to be flexible, the having to, will you ever get work and life balance correct? Absolutely not. Is acknowledging the fact that you'll never get it 100% right crucial to your sanity? Absolutely. Do I need excellent childcare? 100% because I couldn't do it on my own. Do I need a very supportive um, family life in order for me to do this job? I absolutely do. And I'm very, very fortunate and very lucky that I have all of those things. I've got a flexible work place. I've got very understanding colleagues who are just like me, they're parents. We know what's expected of us as parents and we're all very involved. But I think it's important to to be vocal about that. I could not do this unless I had those things available to me. Has there been any particular risks that you've taken in your career that were worth it or any that potentially weren't? There's one particular thing. I started a new job when my daughter was very young and it was a lot of a lot of hours. 12 hour days. And for the first two years of her life, probably two and a half, I wasn't, I wasn't very present. Was that worth it? I won't ever get that time back with her, but then I'm now able to provide for them in ways that I wouldn't have been able to because I've progressed on the career ladder. So, you know, did I sacrifice that? Absolutely. Do I feel guilty about it? Absolutely. Does she know any different? No, um, but I do. And that will probably stay with me. Learned lessons along the way, right? Being a young mom in a workplace, you make, you make sacrifices and sometimes those sacrifices are risky. And whether or not they're worth it, I think you'll never really be able to answer that because you feel guilt as a parent for missing out that time at home. Another risk was to move to London when the global financial crisis hit here in Ireland. That definitely worked out because I was able to get a lot more experience on a lot bigger transactions than I would have, I think, if I had stayed. Is there any particular advice that you would give to women who are potentially at the very beginning of their property career journey and either don't know where to start or are just starting? I would always seek out people who are similar to yourself, male or female. I would seek out mentors and I would ask their advice um, and I'd try and listen to that advice. But I mean people that you look up to, right? People that you identify with who have the same cultures, ethically minded within their role, right? As as they conduct themselves as, as how you would wish to when you're at the next rung of the career ladder. What traits do those people have that you would like to see in yourself and in your role? And how can you use that to make you a better manager, better at your job, better at the deals and the transactions that you're, you take part in? But it's also 
to get the confidence to, you know, tap these people on the shoulder and say, look, I admire you. I admire what you do. Can I attend some meetings with you? Can we grab a coffee? And I think don't be limited to if you're female saying I need to have other female mentors, right? I have a good mix of both. I've had some absolutely astonishingly good male role models in my career, individuals who have who've massively helped me. And equally, I've had good female role models. And if I was to look, there's probably been more male than female because the, the female role models are now only coming up through the ranks. But previously, it has been male. And these individuals have daughters, they've got sisters, they've got wives who are all working as well. So they're now well-versed in the ability to speak and offer advice and offer assistance. You should be honest If you need help and you're finding things tough, I think you need to be able to speak up and say, look, I need time to do this or, you know, I'm a new mother or I've returned to do additional training. And I just think that I need to manage my workload a bit better. If you are a valued team member within your company, you have the right to raise with your board as to what you need. Historically, people are afraid to have those discussions, but you shouldn't. If you're doing your job and you're doing your job well, and you feel that you're making a difference to the company that you work with, and you think you want your time or your how you manage yourself within that role differently, then say it. I think most of the time is when you approach somebody and you go, I'm finding this a bit difficult, you're expecting them to give you the solution. Whereas you yourself should bring the problem, but also bring the solution. Say, look, this is a problem for me. This is how I intend on solving it. Is this okay within the market in which I transact? It's becoming a rare occurrence these days where people will say to you or someone will say to you, I don't know. Let me go and find that out. And that's a big sign of confidence. If you don't know something and you feel that you know your job really, really well, if somebody says, I don't know, I'll go, I, I actually admire that. Instead of giving me a, a fudgy answer, they'll go in, figure it out and bring it back. I'll, I'll respect that 10 times more. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that being able to admit you don't know everything is actually more important than I think a lot of people let on. What advice were you given when you first started out? I can tell you two stories to that. One is a funny one and then one serious one. So on my first um, job in real estate, so I had numerous jobs up till that point, but in my first job in a bank, I'm a bit of a talker in that I don't really shut up ever. And that um, for my, my colleagues that sit in the office with me can find that quite frustrating at times. So in my first role, I was on what was referred to as the loans administrations team. So it it was sitting all day, writing out uh, loan documents, reviewing them, which takes a lot of uh, time and people prefer to be quiet when they're doing this. So at the end of my probation period, my manager took me to one side and said that she was going to seat me in a corner of the office on my own and that if I didn't learn how to calm down and be quiet, that I'd never make it in, in banking. And I remember going home that evening and thinking, okay, Emma, you're going to have to learn to like tone it down a bit, be, be quiet. And then quickly deciding that, no, I, I'd be miserable if I, if I did that because I wouldn't be holding true to myself. I don't know, was that good advice? Maybe I would have, things would have worked out much better if I, if I had listened to her. I don't know. But I remember starting at Dragonfly Finance and Mark Posniak was my manager at the time. And I remember saying to him, I just want to go out and meet all these people and I, and I want to do this. And I think it'd be really good if I was to approach um, this developer. And he said to me, Okay. And I went, okay, uh, do it. And he went, yeah, if you're going to talk about it, don't just talk about it, go and do it. And I went, oh, okay. So I said, well, how will I do it? And he goes, just pick up the phone, email them. You can do it. Just, And that was his advice to me. That's what you want to do. Then then just get up and go and do it. Yeah. Two very different stories. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but interesting nonetheless. Do you think that the challenges and opportunities for women have changed whilst you've been working within the industry? I think 
opportunities for women has significantly improved. And I think the reason being is there's more women than ever in the workplace. Okay, that obviously helps. I think there's a bigger drive with young professionals into the bigger companies um, from university. The fact that there's more women in the workplace means that naturally that's going to create more opportunities, right? The more jobs that's created and the more women that are on more senior roles, it isn't that. And I don't think we should ever hire if there was, if there's a job interview where there's two people, you know, male and a female. I don't think that the job should be given to the female because there's a requirement for additional females on that board. I think the role should always be given to the individual who is correct for the job, right? That's one thing I'm, I'm really passionate about. I think COVID has helped us because everybody wants flexibility in the workplace now, not just, not just women. I think over time where we've got um, increased cost of living means that we've got two parents working now. When I was at Octopus and I was heading up the origination team there um, and I was pregnant with my son, Jack, who is now five on Monday. When I was seven months pregnant, I got an email from somebody within Maslow saying, we'd like to meet you for a coffee. We've heard good things about you. Can you come over and chat to us? And I went, uh, really happy to come and chat to you, but you do know I'm seven months pregnant. And they said, yeah, we that, that's okay. Right. So I don't think I had ever been number one, headhunted as a female into like a, a senior role within a company or number two, certainly never headhunted when I was seven months pregnant. And then when I went to meet the individual who had messaged me, feeling very awkward, you know, with this like big bump. It, it was me. It was me they wanted to meet. It didn't matter that, you know, I was pregnant or it didn't matter that I was a working mom or it didn't matter that I was about to go on maternity leave and may never return into the workplace again. They were eager to get me from my experience into their company and basically said, look, whatever you need, just um, let us know kind of thing. And and I think that would never have happened 10 years ago. Super interesting how much it's changed. And also interesting that as women, we think that they wouldn't all meet you because you were pregnant and that you might never return back to work. So therefore, why should they even give you the opportunity? And then someone being like, that's what their response should be. But that's almost shocking and feels shocking in itself. Working parents are now having to work harder than they've ever had before because we all want to give our kids the best in life. We want to make sure that they're doing the sport. You know, we want to make sure that they're having the swimming lessons and the pony lessons. And, you know, what about if if we don't put them in to speak different languages? You know, what about if we're not giving them the best stance of what is a very competitive world that we now all live in. And that costs money. And that means we have to work harder. When I speak to my mother, who raised four children, worked very hard in the home. I admire any parent who are stay-at-home parents because working within the home is a tough gig. Is there anything that you hope to see in the future for the property industry for women, like in the, maybe the next five years that you hope might change or continue to change? I think what would massively help women in the workplace is the ability to have the conversation about your career path, but including your desire if you if you have one to have kids, right? Or your desire to not have children. That should be a conversation that we should be able to have within the companies that we work for. There shouldn't be, or should we promote her because she may have kids? That woman may decide that she doesn't want to have kids. That is perfectly okay. That is a decision that sits personally within that person. Or I might say, oh, I want to have two kids, right? I'm going to be done within five years. I'm very career driven. So I want to stay in the workplace. So yes, I'm going to be missing for here and here, like, and assuming everything goes well. I know there's a lot of other factors that come into play with kids, right? Um, And having kids, but it's, it's having the ability to try and plan your career with the company that you're with, right? And I think, and I've seen it with a lot of my ex colleagues. I've seen it with a lot of friends of mine. If you have a company that gives you the flexibility, right? And the confidence to do your role, you will remain loyal. People don't leave bad 
companies, they leave bad managers. So yeah, I think you should have the ability to be able to plan that. That has to continue. I don't think flexibility is like a nice to have add-on requirement. I think a flexibility for women in the workplace or parents in the workplace is an absolute needs must. I think companies at a minimum have to be able to offer that. I've never heard that said in a phrase before. And that's actually super interesting because it's true. And like if a workplace is understanding and you can have very open conversations and there's kind of no reason to leave. But if the people aren't being understanding, then that's the reason you'd want to go no matter how much you like the company, it's the people. How do you think that companies can help to achieve this? Is there a way that you think just by having more conversations? I think it's difficult for companies, right? Especially small companies, because having payroll every month is a big expense. Sometimes when you're in the the crux of market turmoil or the market headwinds that we're all experiencing. It's very difficult to start then offering additional benefits, etc. Because you're you're, you know, everyone's everyone's trying to run a company, you're trying to keep staff happy. How it works with Maslow, we're not required to check in, you know, be seen to be online at 9 a.m. We're not expected then to just sign off at six o'clock, right? It's a very, very flexible way of working. I would never expect any of my team to come to me and say, I need an hour off to go to the dentist or I need to be here. I just say to them, go and do it, right? But just make sure that you communicate effectively with your colleagues, right? So we use Slack, very easy to put up a message. I'm away from my desk for two hours, but you expect that person to be back in two hours and then, you know, the work gets done. But everyone has an important role to play. And I think that flexibility allows them then to to flourish within their roles. It drives loyalty. It makes sure that they're not missing out on the things that they want to miss out on, whether that's their kids or sports, some training courses that they might be doing. I think secondly, it's very important when you are hiring a young workforce that you try and empower them and give them the tools that they need to progress in their career. It's very easy to put someone at a desk and saying, right, here, go work 60 hours a week. But if you take the time to do the training and the mentoring and the ability to introduce them to the wider audience within their network that they need to succeed. You know, you end up keeping those individuals in the company for much longer. You know, if you if you pay a bit of attention to their career and their growth plans and talk to them, take the time to get to know them and see see what's making them tick. Is that role right? Maybe you could move them into a different aspect of it. Uh, maybe they're stronger doing certain tasks than others. So I think spending time Time is the biggest thing that you can ever offer, I feel, any um, colleagues or any team members. So putting time into them, so offering flexibility, putting time into pe- into into people and listening. I think listening is, is a is a key to any company and making sure that it runs right, but also communication. So we're, we're now all in the world of working from home, right? Biggest challenge that any of us have is the ability to communicate because we're not sat beside each other. We can't tell each other with there's no, you can't gauge someone's mood because, you know, you haven't seen them come into work that morning or you don't know what's going on. You don't know how much work is on their desk. So we're all having to learn to communicate almost over communicate because you don't have the you don't have that ability to to do that anymore. There's a lot of individuals that are put into leadership roles on the basis of how well they performed that year. And I don't think that's right. I think you should never move into leadership roles without being given the proper training on how to lead and manage a team. And I think that's important. If if you're if you're going to be in a leadership role or a management role, working very closely with a group of individuals, you, you have to have the proper skill set to be able to do that. I think the communication thing is really important because if you're not talking to the people you're working with and because everyone now works from home no one really knows what anyone else is up to and or what they may have had in like a personal capacity and just people being more understanding I think is really important to just make everyone's lives a little bit easier and a little bit make the workplace a little bit happier as well what would you have done if you hadn't have gone into property did you ever have like a plan b career path i did but i wasn't intelligent enough to um to, to follow it what was it i wanted to be 
um, a veterinarian and I have a huge love of animals um, still to this day. We've got uh, two dogs, a cat, a, a guinea pig on the way for my son's birthday on Monday. We keep chickens, a big love of animals. Um, my favourite places to go were the aquarium and the zoo. I would have loved to have been involved in animal welfare to some respect, but I, I, I don't think I got the points on my A-levels to study to be a vet. I think you, you need more points than, than a doctor um, to be a vet. And it's funny, my daughter now, who's 10, that's her dream. Finally then, what does success look like to you? If you could, if you could describe it. Success for me, if I could describe it, is being happy in your role. I think you have to get enjoyment out of what you're doing. I think if you're not getting enjoyment from what you're doing, you have to ask yourself, then why am I doing it? And that if by doing what you spend 40 or 50 or however many hours a week doing, is that able to deliver other aspects of your life? As in, we all need a home to live in, right? We And, and, and we all want to provide certain things for our, for our family or our better halves. Does what you do enable you to do that? Because I think you can get massive job satisfaction out of saying, you know what, I worked hard this year and I was able to do X, Y and Z as a result. I enjoyed doing that when I was working hard. And, you know, you get you get a sense of fulfillment out of it. Rising energy prices, inflation and everything that can be quite stressful. It's quite stressful for a lot of families. But I think if you're able to marry your role with and enjoy it and get a sense of fulfillment out of it, that that's success. I don't think it's all about what goes into your bank account. I think you really have to have a drive for what you do. And the two go hand in hand. If you feel fulfilled out of what you do, then that drives you for more, right? And then you get more success from doing that. But I'm, I'm lucky. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy it from the sense of meeting people every day and getting to, and we all have our moments, right? We have weeks where it's where it's tough, where we're trying to get stuff done, but we've, we've got a good culture within Maslow and it's generally a, a good place to work. So we are hosting an International Women's Day breakfast for the first time ever on the 8th of March. When I was about ready to send out the invitations, I went, why are we limiting this to just women? So I got three of the guys from Maslow to join the breakfast. And initially they said, why are we joining an International Women's Day breakfast? I said, well, why wouldn't you? We're celebrating women. We're celebrating women in the workplace. You've been um, absolute huge support to me since I've joined Maslow. One of the guys in particular who who was attending the breakfast, some of the women that I've asked that he's introduced to Maslow. So he's gone and said, oh, this valuer should be on the panel or this QS quantity surveyor should be working for Maslow because they're good. Not because they're women, but because they're good at their job. Of course, you should be there because you've introduced me to half of these women since I've joined Maslow. And he's like, oh yeah, okay, that's a good point. When you look at Maslow as a whole, got 28 team members now. There's only five women, unfortunately. So while it's on, on the face of it, that looks like that we've got a very low number of females within our workforce, right? But if you look at the roles in which in, that we complete within there, the, those five individuals have got really crucial roles within the company, as in our head of legal counsel, Emma, you know, that's a big role. We've got head of loan execution, that's Rachel, that's a big role. Head of origination, that's me, it's a big role. We've got our EA who keeps everything like running like super smooth, that's a big role. One of our portfolio managers, Elena, you know, so whilst we don't have a huge number of females, the females that are within Maslow do quite quite large roles. There's a lot of responsibility um, that rests with us. We continue to celebrate women and draw awareness to the fact that we're, we're driving careers in the workplace and assisting where we can. Thank you for listening. And to find out more, please visit lsh.co.uk.